0: Welcome to Into Theology. My name is Wyatt Graham and I'm joined again with Dr. Ian Clary and we're continuing to work our way through the Institutes of Christian Religion by John Calvin. We are in book one and chapter six, seven, and eight today in our second week of our 43-week w- reading plan of this great work. Now uh, last week we talked a lot about uh, the twofold knowledge of God, of epistemology, how we understand nature. This week, Calvin, tells us about the balance between word and spirit and how those things meet and give us assurance and certainty about how we can know what is true. As we begin, we'll, we'll begin like we did last week and I'm gonna ask Ian to uh, kind of introduce a paragraph to read us in Kelvin and, and to read it as well. Ian?
1: Sure, yeah, so as you were saying, we pick, we're, we're picking up from last week's uh, discussion where he's really gonna get into the whole benefit of knowing God from the natural world from creation. And, uh, and in this section, he's going to be talking about how, well, you know, that knowledge of God from, from nature is really, really important. But nevertheless, we still need we need something more, something added to that knowledge, which he's going to say comes by way of scripture. And uh, and so, as you said, you know, there's the twofold knowledge of God, knowledge of God as creator, knowledge of God as, rede- as redeemer. And in this section that we're looking at now, he's saying, I'm still on the knowledge of God as creator. Uh, this, is, this is, you know, I haven't abandoned this yet. What I want to do now is, is show how scripture teaches us about God as creator and saying that that's going to help us in terms of like things like certainty, uh, assurance of our, of, our, of our faith, and it's going to uh, help with getting rid of superstitions and idolatries too. And so I think the kind of classic way that he does this uh, is in the way he kind of just uh, an illustration that he uses uh, for what's, how scripture works is when he speaks of of the scriptures as a kind of like as as glasses or what he hmm. in our translation called spectacles so <laughs> right at the very end of 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 uh of, of chapter six and section one um you're going to see him he's going to talk about old and bleary eyed men and their need for glasses so i'm going to pick up with that and just read that a little bit and then we can kind of uh, go from there calvin says just as old or bleary eyed men and those with weak vision If you thrust before them a most beautiful volume, even if they recognize it to be some sort of writing, yet scarcely can construe two words, Uh, but with the aid of spectacles will begin to read distinctly. So scripture gathering up the otherwise confused knowledge of God in our minds, having dispersed our dullness clearly shows us the true God. This therefore is a special gift where God to instruct the church, not merely uses mute teachers but also opens up his own most hallowed lips. Not only does he teach the elect to look upon a God, but also shows himself as the God upon whom they are to look. He has from the beginning maintained this plan for his church, so that besides these common proofs, he also put forth his word, which is a more direct and more certain mark, whereby he is to be recognized. So, I mean, there's lots going on beyond just the the glasses illustration here. Um, he's saying here that God's word, uh, comes from God's own most hallowed lips, Hmm. um, which is a great statement, really of biblical, of biblical inspiration saying that this, this word comes to us from as a gift of God, because it shows us who he is. And he's saying, look, there are these things that we can derive from, from nature, right? These, these truths about God, proofs about his existence and things like that. But right at the very end there, he says that the scripture is a more direct and more certain mark. Uh, whereby he is to be recognized so in as much as you know proofs are going to be really important he's going to say scripture is way more certain and and that that really sets out calvin's i think overall epistemology
0: you know it reminds me a lot two years after this edition was finished the belgic confession came out 1561 and i think it's the first or second point there talks about how god reveals himself in two books the book of nature and then the book of scripture and the distinction there is scripture is much more clear yeah. and that's the kind of language that Calvin uses the spectacle or the glasses if you have bad vision you put them on you see things much more clearly you could see the words but not make out two characters or two words yeah. of the page but with those glasses you can see things more clearly so then likewise granted uh, that god is proclaimed across all creation we have a blurriness of mind <laughs> so we can't see clearly so I'm not sure was Kelvin involved with the Belgian Confession. It seems very similar.
1: No, no, the Belgian Confession is uh, written. If, it, if I recall correctly, it's Guido de Bray is the okay. guy that writes it. And uh, um, but I mean that 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 part that you pick up on the Belgian Confession is to me is one of the most important. It's most important contributions to reform confessions uh, is the, those two books. It's so so helpful.
0: Yeah, I think Kelvin's given us, too, um, not just the the possibility of these kind of two forms of knowing and then the more clear one, uh, but also kind of like uh, a bit of an order of priority. Uh, I think, I can't remember what he says it, but I mean, if you're going to get dogma, it has to kind of come from Scripture, Yeah, which is what Christians have taught. I mean, Thomas Aquinas makes it very clear in his Summa, like, if you want dogma, it has to come from Scripture. Yeah and looks like calvin's doing the same here so there's a certain kind of priority in which we come to know god and clarity and i guess also necessity right so he would say that uh scripture is the sufficient condition for for really knowing god salvifically as well i guess he will get into that a little further on though yeah um okay so we have all that we have uh these these two ways okay so here's the other thing let's talk about the two ways of knowing god so he and maybe you could summarize this a little bit. But so he basically says, look, there's two ways to know God. There's first as creator and then redeemer. So yep. what does that mean? What are these yeah. two categories?
1: So the, the idea of creator is knowledge of God as is, is creator. He says, I think it's right at the end of of, uh, of that, sec, that first is, yeah. section there uh, where he says, you know, you can derive these testimonies from the New Testament, others from the Law and the Prophets. Uh, where express mentions made of Christ, he says. Nevertheless, all things will tend to this end that God, the artificer of the universe, is made manifest to us in Scripture, and that what we ought to think of Him is set forth there, lest we seek some uncertain deity by devious paths. And yes. so, the knowledge of God in in crea- as Creator that we get both from nature and from Scripture is there to prevent us from going off to uncertain deities. And so, Calvin's real concern, and it'll come up in a number of places is this idea of not following after false gods. And so this is a protector, this knowledge of God as creator, uh, to to keep us from, from, from going to false gods and to know who the true God actually is. Hmm. And that, that's ultimately going to be insufficient. He's, he's going to say in that, just before that, he says, I shall discuss only, in this part here, he says, I shall discuss only how we should learn from scripture that God, the creator of the universe, can by sure marks be distinguished from all the throng of famed gods. And he says, then we're going to go on in the knowledge of God as redeemer in the the next part of the institutes uh, to show that, you know, okay, it's great. We now know that there's, there's, you know, this monotheistic view of God that comes out of the biblical revelation. Um, And so we shouldn't be going after false gods, but in order to actually truly be saved, you need to know God as he says, right just above that, As the person of the mediator and as the redeemer, and Mm. that's all going to be through Christ, and so he's going to really narrow in the focus of knowledge of God, uh, so that we come to know God through Christ. But he he says, "I'm going to get to that a little bit later." And
0: that's helpful, I think. Like moving out to the the big picture scene, just for someone who's coming to this book and it's so vast, is Calvin once again is is a kind of a threefold structure, or fourfold, but there's a trinitarian structure to the book. The first book is God the Creator. The second book that he's going to talk about in is, this delay in the discussion is is a uh, christ the redeemer yeah third book is on the holy spirit and the fourth book is on the church so we are still in the first book and this is why god 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 the creator is really focused upon and that's why the discussion in part is delayed i mean there's lots of reasons why but that's kind of the structure of this whole work
1: yeah yep.
0: and as you noted uh we have to know this we have to know it from scripture so that we are not falling into superstition that's one of the things that's really interesting. He does it, uh, so in chapter six and then in section two uh, he re- and three, he really drives kind of a wedge between superstition and true religion. And it seems to me these are kind of uh, opposed ideas in Kelvin, I think probably commonly too at this time, yeah. where superstition was just kind of a, an unarticulated, unclear kind of religious manifestation. But what he says at the bottom of uh, section two here, He says that now in order that true religion may shine upon us, we ought to hold that it must take its beginning from heavenly doctrine and that no one can get even the slightest taste of right and sound doctrine unless he be a pupil of scripture. And I think that's helpful because he is saying, I think this is a commonplace in medieval and reformed theology, when it comes to true doctrine and when it comes to doctrine with reference to true religion, which means worship, you really have to find that in scripture. Because true, true worship comes from how God commands and instructs us to worship
1: Him. Yeah, that's um, why his his whole concern against superstition and these feigned gods is, you know, is there because Calvin recognizes God's utmost concern is right worship. Just right worship.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of us like we we're kind of talking about this before, like when we sometimes we think of doctrine as sort of just like a, a, a you know like a blog listicle of items <laughs> anthropology yeah. soteriology. but in reality or at least at this time for Calvin a doctrine was a means by which we were moved to worship the true god rightly yeah it, it was i mean obviously this is like a thousand page book so there are doctrines in it but they're all meant to move us to true religion which for Calvin meant worship yeah in a right our rightly ordered life and thinking of the whole self um There's another thing that he uh, talks about here. And one reason why he's really laying emphasis on scripture is it's it's a pastoral emphasis I noticed, and it's really the emphasis on certainty or assurance.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So in his day, uh, I mean, second generation reformer, but nonetheless, uh, his context was a sort of sacramental system in the Roman Catholic church, where I suppose many people were not certain of their forgiveness. I mean, that was kind of the Martin Luther scene. Yeah. And it looks like Calvin is basically concurring with that critique. And so what he wants to do, I think it's fairly pastoral, actually. It's, it's in, you see it all over these chapters. You say, look, um, it's not the church that verifies scripture. It's not the church that verifies all this truth. Because if that were, that were the case, then our eternal destiny, our, our ability to know truly more accurately is what he would say, uh, relies upon human knowledge. But yeah. it's blurry and weak. So really, it has to rely on God. and That's where you get certainty. And that's what Scripture is. And you kind of read the section or referred to it already. It comes from the mouth of God. God speaks to us in Scripture. And therefore, if you want assurance or certainty on what is true, really the source is going to be Scripture. So that's the word side. But there's also something more I did mention. It's this internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. So can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right when it comes to this whole kind of pastoral question in the background of late medieval Catholicism, and and the issue of assurance is a big deal at this at this time, and it continues on through the Reformed tradition. The, the question of assurance, and yeah, Calvin is recognizing that hey, as we're pulling away from this system, um, there's this potential that you know the lack of assurance it's already felt is going to get worse, and so what he's doing is he's trying to drive it home that you you can actually and truly be assured that these things are true and that the knowledge you have of God is a true and reliable knowledge, right? He's going to say that it, it's primarily in the inscripturated word, but he's going to say, you know, even the patriarchs who don't, don't have a written word yet actually have this given to them from God that's implanted in them mm. so that the patriarchs have a surety. And now that we have what he calls public tablets, um, now we've got that doubly in a sense because we, we do have the internal testimony of the spirit. As you said, and we've also got this this public word now in the Bible, and that's all towards assuring us that that's again it's a pastoral emphasis in Calvin, right? Just like we were talking about before, like the stress that he has on things like comfort, uh, and uh, and so uh, that that's what this is for. And so he's going to say, look, like as you said, the the church doesn't establish the authority of Scripture. Um, the, he, he'll argue that the the actual the church is birthed from the Word of God, and the church derives its own authority from the Word of God to exist. And so while the church recognizes books as canonical and, and those sorts of things, is really doing it in a receptive way, just like we the church recognized that Jesus was God and man and receives that truth from God, right? It's not something that the church just made up. And so internal testimony of the Spirit is going to be remarkably important because as we read the Bible, proofs, you know, for its, its, its inspiration are important. He said, but transcending all kinds of proofs is actually gonna be the, the, this working of the spirit in the heart of humans that's gonna affirm for us. He says implicitly that the scripture is actually God's own word and therefore authoritative.
0: I think the last thing he said is important. Like, so he, Calvin has four proofs. He actually mentions yep. a whole series of them, but the order is fascinating because there is a priority to the, to the grace of God, specifically in the Holy Spirit coming into you and giving you assurance and confidence. And then these proofs are sort of that, uh, that, that kind of builds up that confidence. It's sort of a, it's a kind of a scaffolding that makes sense of your confidence in the word. Yeah,
1: yeah think- and, he's, and he's using, he uses proofs too, in the way is like, these, these proofs are here to shut the mouths of people that are gonna say things. Uh, in contrary contrary to the to the authority of the word of god right so like i love i love the bit where he's like listen i'm not a very eloquent guy but even i could get up and slam (laughs) he does (laughs) you know with these shut their mouths and it's kind of like you know bring it um but uh yeah so these proofs have that kind of effect of any any naysayers they have their mouths easily shut Mm -hmm. And uh, and then at the same time, these proofs are are useful for us too because they're gonna right. they're gonna shore up further, um, you know, the the confidence that we have.
0: And I think that also kind of balance because it, it does sound a little bit like it could be this total irrational leap of faith. Uh, Calvin's not doing that. I don't think he would ever do that. He does see that sort of mystical assurance of the Holy Spirit. He'll talk about mystical union later in the in the institute. So he's fine with yep. that, but that doesn't lead into sort of an irrational inability to articulate truth or to be assured of it through, through arguments. Rather, he just knows how bleary our minds are and how important the Holy Spirit is into drawing us to see clearly through the spectacles of faith. And so I think that ends up being really important. Um, there was a, uh, he's, well, there's a number of passages we could read. Here's one. He says, uh, this is from chapter seven and section five says this, let this point therefore stand, that those whom the Holy Spirit has inwardly taught truly rest upon Scripture, and that Scripture indeed is self-authenticated. Yep. Hence, it is not right to subject it to proof and reasoning. <laughs> and the certainty uh, it deserves with us, it attains by the testimony of, the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to talk about illumination. So illumination is, is massively important for him. Holy Spirit's seal the guarantee the illuminator. The Spirit comes and illuminates the truth. But it's not the case that Scripture, like, he says you can't, uh, you, you know, you can't throw, um, can't test it because it's true. But that doesn't mean that it can't be tested. Like, it's not that it's impossible. Right. It's the, it's, his point is that it comes from God. It's true. The Holy Spirit illumines you so you know it's true. Yeah. And then you can reason outward and see how it is. But because it's true, you don't come up, you don't go to God's throne and say, I'm going to test to see if you're God. Right. It's just not, that's what yeah, he's you're getting just at. you flat on your
1: face. Yeah,
0: you're going to fall flat on your face, but you're illuminated. And uh, this is something interesting. I mean, we, you know, I just kind of think of First John where it talks about how the anointing of the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He doesn't cite that passage here, but I, I kind of wonder if that's part of what he's getting at. Maybe it it'd, be to, it'd
1: be interesting to compare it in his commentaries his on commentaries, that text yeah. and see what commonalities there are. Yeah. Well, self-authentication is really important, right? Um, and he, he kind of illustrates how that works when uh, you know, you look at black and white coloring uh, he describes them as colors uh, and, and he'll say things like, well, it's just, it's evident, you know, when you look at it, that black is black. And if you taste something sweet or sour, mm. uh, as soon as you put that in, a, in your mouth, you don't need a proof to tell you that that's a sour kid that you just ate. Uh, but uh, it's its own testimony as you have the, the effect of it in your mouth. And he says, that's, that's kind of like what the word and spirit do, right? He's always striking this balance between word and spirit. And the spirit is going to testify internally to the believer that this is indeed the word of God. And you're just going to know this implicitly. And he's going to pit re- revelation and reason against each other. He's going to say, this is sort of like above reason,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that you don't need all of these proofs, uh, because if you have the internal testimony of the spirit, that's going to be way more than enough. Um, but he's never, he's not pitting revelation against reason, no. he's making revelation supra rational, so right? It's beyond it. it doesn't contradict it. It's just beyond it. And, uh, and so that, that's, that's going to be kind of really helpful as we, as we kind of think through and you know, maybe our own struggles with with do we believe the word of god is it really authoritative for our life and then you're like i you know i, I struggle with these questions but man i just believe it that 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 that's, that's, that that belief of just yeah i just i'm just convinced by it that's the holy spirit working
0: see that's that's a massively important pastoral thing so let me read a couple of passages from him in uh, chapter 7 in section 4 so he says the the highest proof of scripture derives in general from the fact that god in person speaks in it it's God's word. He speaks in it. And then he talks uh, about uh, our, uh, being a, uh, we ought to seek our conviction in a higher place than human reasons, judgments, or conjectures. That is in the secret testimony of the spirit. Yep. And he goes on talking about how if we turn with pure eyes and upright senses towards it, the majesty of God will immediately come to view, subdue our bold rejection, and compel us to obey. Um, that will be uh, scripture he's talking about. Okay, so, so why would that be helpful pastorally? Well, I think for uh, the reason that you just said, I think here's a big problem that we all have. We're born in a world where we're trained to doubt our senses. Yep. Or at least if you if you go to school, you you learn this. Uh, and you doubt everything, and you have to find a thousand reasons to build the scaffolding of of inductive reasons to get a, a measure of confidence. Uh, but the moment one of your premises are destroyed, and then that's all gone. Gone. Well. That's how life works. There's always new evidence out there. I mean, you might be convinced of one thing one day, then another, another day, but when it, God doesn't want us to live that kind of confused life. He doesn't want us to always be vacillating and oscillating between yes and no. So what he does, God in his grace, is he, according to Kelvin, shares with us his Holy Spirit, illumines our mind, and gives us kind of an unshakable supra, as you mentioned, super rational assurance which doesn't mean that it's not actually rational to believe but rather your subjective assurance is through this internal testimony that tells you yes in Jesus Christ and then yeah you, you end up learning and building that scaffolding but it's not that's not what it relies upon I think that's yeah. very helpful and then the second part this is a little bit of a tangent but uh, he, he draws on a, as a patricic commonplace that you actually have to have a pure high pure pure eyes and upright heart to understand Scripture yeah i I think that's uh that's the very end of section four of chapter seven that's massively important I, I'm sure he'll get to it later i'm not sh- well-'m not sure, but I hope he does because um I think our assumption today is that anyone can approach scripture without preparation, and it's we got it no, you have to have the Holy Spirit and you have to be holy. Moses took off his sandals before he approached the burning bush, and we have to have the Holy spirit within us as we approach scripture to at least understand it rightly and therefore have in Calvin's language true religion. Yeah. We're also superstition. You can be a biblical scholar and superstitious because you it don't kind. have the Holy spirit, or at least don't approach it with a, with a purity of soul. Yeah. Um, it's not merely
1: until it's not merely intellectual, right? It's, it's not, mere, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's holistic. Yeah. yeah I mean, I
0: think, he, go on, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I, was saying, I think, I think that's so important for us because we just don't think that way. I mean, just so, but yeah, you go. Yeah.
1: Well, you're using the imagery of scaffolding. He also uses, you know, the image kind of like nautical imagery of, mm-hmm. of, of a boat and how uh, the word of God is really like an anchor, mm-hmm. right? So when you are feeling lack of assurance and those kinds of things, it, it anchors you, keeps you steady uh, amidst all of the buffeting of the world around us. And then he doesn't exactly say it this way, but you can kind of, Follow the same sort of, of, of nautical imagery with like it, the word also functions as this rudder that directs you, or even your nautical map. He's, he's going to talk about how there's like a labyrinth or a maze of God's glory that we can't navigate. And so then he gives us the word in order to be able to do that. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's uh, the labyrinth is, is kind of interesting too because it's so confusing you can't get out of it. But when you have this, it's, yeah. it's like a map, right? Yeah. Points you to yeah. the destination. Uh, and uh, this is not quite an accurate jump. But he when he talks about the law, he ends up citing Romans 10, 4, where Christ is the end of the law. It's the thing yeah. to which the law points. He's the end. He's the goal. I'm not sure if that's his exact point. That was kind of my <laughs> jump thought. So maybe he doesn't yeah. quite say it that way. But um, okay, that's incredibly helpful. So we have this. Um, scripture has authority. That might be one last thing that would be important to emphasize uh, in chapter seven, right? Yeah, it Talks about scripture having authority. I think that's an important...
1: Yeah, because his his backdrop, right, he's got two things that he's dealing with in terms of his immediate context. You know, he explicitly mentions, you know, the Roman Catholic Church. They're saying, no, it's it's the church that determines the authority of Scripture. And therefore, then the church really is, is higher than Scripture. And he's saying no, 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 that's not the case. The, the, the church actually gets its authority from the Scriptures uh, because the apostles are the, in, are the foundations of the church. And then uh, his other backdrop, ground that's not as explicit but is there nonetheless is the anabaptists um who the more really radical wing of them are going to say we don't need the bible we have the internal testimony of the witness of the spirit and that's all we need and calvin is to say no, no 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 there's there's a balance here that you need to strike between the word and the spirit you actually need both if you just stress the spirit without the word you're just going to go off into all sorts of mm. weird wackiness Um, If you just have the word without the spirit, well, then you can still go into superstition, as you said, or you can get overly intellectualized. Your whole faith is stuck up here and doesn't move to your heart. And so, you know, I think this is a this is this is good stuff for the church today because you get some parts of Protestant evangelicalism that just goes so far into like the experience of the spirit. Uh, where you know you don't even get really good good preaching on a Sunday morning, or you get the reformed wing that gets so intellectualized that there's no emphasis on spirit at all. And and Calvin's like, you actually just you need to have a have a balance of both. He doesn't get into it here, but really when you think about it, word and spirit is is balanced within God, right? Like the word as Christ and the spirit, how the spirit works in Christ's life and his incarnation, perfect balance there. And here you have the word of God. In Scripture that has that same that same balance.
0: Yeah. Well, Calvin gets uh, to be known as a theologian of the Holy Spirit, right? And practically, that's because he unites the Holy Spirit to the sacraments. Yeah. Um, but you already really see here the
1: spirit to everything. Everything. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's everything. Yeah.
0: So he's he's a, a deeply Trinitarian thinker, a deeply spiritual thinker. And sometimes when we read a book like this, it feels so intellectualized that we kind of miss the historical import of him throwing the Holy spirit into everything. Yeah. You live and walk by the spirit in a thoroughgoing manner with John Calvin, yeah. which is massive. Uh, I want to read one more, uh, one more sentence in chapter seven, uh, just on the authority aspect. I think it's just, so he quotes John five thirty nine. which, really, which but, section are you in seven section one, first paragraph okay. there. So, uh, he says after, uh, alluding to or. um, looking at John 539, perhaps. Then he says, hence the scriptures obtain full authority among believers only when men regard them as having sprung from heaven, as if there the living words of God were heard. And of course that's his view. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I just, I find those kinds of uh, statements kind of just kind of wonderful little uh, words in John Calvin, this kind of authority there yeah. that we give to scripture. And I think that's right. I think authority is an interesting word today when it comes to scripture because we have some battles over what that authority means. Yeah, He's not really participating in those, but he knows the basic idea that uh, God has authority. So when he speaks, then therefore what he says carries that authority.
1: Yeah, and yeah he says that, right? The, when, they, when the prophets are making their proclamations, they're not doing it appealing to anything else than, that, than the very, yes. the, the holy name of God. Yeah,
0: exactly. And that's, and that's why he's going to shortly talk about even this, think, uh, the last paragraph of the same section. Uh, it's not about the consent of the church. Uh, it's actually what the scripture says. Yeah. Interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, sorry. It's not only about the consent of the church that gives scripture the authority. Yeah. Rather, it's scripture itself, just to be clear. Yeah. So, anyways, that's really helpful. Uh, are there any last minute things that you think we should uh mention before we jump off? We're getting close to the 30 minute yeah. mark here.
1: I guess the last thing I'd mention is just how he talks about how in in uh 7 4, he talks about how you know the spirit who Paul describes as the seal, and I think it's in Ephesians. Um, he's he's saying how the the the, func- the function of the spirit when it comes to the word is that the spirit actually seals the word to us. Mm. Um, so it's it's, it, it enlightens our minds and it's actually sealed uh, in our hearts as it were.
0: That's interesting. So is, is that a, like, I know um, like word and spirit or word and sacrament are kind of these key, is that what people mean by word and spirit? Like, is this the kind of idea?
1: I don't know. I have to look at it. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I hear these slogans and I'm not like a hundred percent sure what is being yeah. said. <laughs> um, yeah. Thankfully, John Calvin, the, um, the lawyer, the theologian, the humanist has written a, something like a thousand pages for us to kind of hear his thoughts and to articulate uh, how he preached and counseled people for, through his whole ministry. We kind of get this little book, this little book, this little massive book where you get to hear yeah. all these wonderful things to learn from him, to see how he interpreted scripture. So I, I'm so far enjoying it. I'm yeah. sort of like, uh, I like this section, but I'm also really interested in books two and three. <laughs> I'm almost impatient, but I'm learning, so that's good. And I'm glad we got to the famous spectacle session. So I think this might be a good place to end. Next week, we are doing chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12 on the reading plan. That'll be posted on social media, I'm sure, on Monday. I'm sure because I'll do it, (laughs) if I remember. And uh, we look forward to all of you who are jumping on this plan and reading with us. Uh, I'm learning a lot. I'm really happy to learn with my friend Ian and I hope that you find this to be an edifying experience in a way that helps you to know God and to enjoy His His creation.
1: Reading Theology is about opening your mind and heart to know and enjoy God and His creation. It's something you can pursue every day. For more resources, check out ca.thegospelcoalition.org. Subscribe to Into Theology on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and join us next time as we read great works of theology together.